Hello and welcome to Gilead. My name is Soren and I'm the Office and Communications Admin here. Thank you so much for joining us. This short series is called Le Petite Mort Theme, which is a take on dying and death, but kind of making light of it. So we know that a petite mort, you know, like a little death in French means orgasm. So we're making it kind of sexy. We're kind of you know, playing with the idea of death, dying, and our feelings with it, and trying to embrace the liveliness of death. It's a complicated thing. People have a lot of feelings about it, but, you know, we're trying to make do with what we have. So, this past Sunday, November 5th, 2023, Vince Amlin was preaching about relics, about bones, the messages they carry, why certain people are allowed to have relics, why certain people aren't, what it all means, and what do we carry with our bones? Listen now and find out more. The path to Holy Island uh, at the end of St. Cuthbert's Way goes over the floor of the North Sea. You have to cross at low tide, of course, when the water recedes and the island, for a few hours, gets reconnected to the mainland. The way is challenging and as proof, when I led a group of pilgrims across last May, our own Alexa Eisenbarth, former Gilead student pastor, sank into the mud up to her shins and fell down, which I guess I shouldn't have laughed. You didn't laugh. Uh, you had the appropriate response. <laughs> the other pilgrims asked if it was quicksand that she had fallen in, and I assured them that they had watched far too many 80s movies. And then we got to the other side where a sign cautioned us not to fall into the quicksand. <laughs> People have been making that treacherous crossing for hundreds of years. Many like us as pilgrims. The original ones came to visit the bones of St. Cuthbert, this seventh century bishop who was thought to be so holy that when he died, people believed that even his bones could cure them. And apparently sometimes they did. His bones were so valuable that a couple hundred years after he died, the monks on the island heard that Vikings were coming to attack, and so they grabbed Cuthbert's coffin and left everything else. Actually, they threw the heads of a couple other saints into his coffin, but they left the rest. That is true. There is no lie in the sermon that I know of. And frankly, the whole bone thing, I don't get. Like, I visited Cuthbert's bones in the place where they ended up, which is Durham Cathedral, and I didn't receive any mystical message or miraculous healing. Actually, I've seen, like, lots of saints' bones, Francis and Claire and James and Mark, and none of them have done much for me. In Assisi, I was so much more moved by seeing the stones of this church that Francis had rebuilt than filing past the window where Claire's whole skeleton is laid out with like a mask and a dress on. Apparently the mask is a later addition because our friend Anne was talking about how they used to just open a curtain and she was, her skull was staring back at you. <laughs> and on one hand, I guess I'm not supposed to be moved by these Bones, I'm a Protestant minister. We don't have saints, let alone relics. But going to these churches and like seeing the devotion people have for them, the power that they draw from these bones, the crush of people trying to stand in front of that little window, or the line of folks waiting for a seat in the chapel with Francis's body, there must be something to it all. The tradition goes back 
before Christianity, at least as far as the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. As the Hebrew people escape their enslavement in Egypt, just after the 10 plagues and just before they cross the Red Sea, the story says Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites saying, God will surely take notice of you and then you must carry my bones with you from here. Some people say that the Hebrew people had been enslaved for as many as 400 years at the beginning of the Exodus, before they made the Exodus. But while the rest of the people are, are grabbing gold jewelry that they'll eventually melt into a beautiful calf statue or packing the provisions that will see them through a long, treacherous journey in the wilderness, Moses is loading up the bones of this long dead leader, preparing to carry them, he doesn't know yet, but for the next 40 years or so. Why? For one thing, because Joseph made the people promise to do it. But also that promise was like 400 years ago and made by people who are already bones themselves. So, you know, Moses probably could be forgiven for deciding it wasn't a priority to haul Joseph's remains through the desert as they were fleeing Pharaoh's army. But it's not just the people's promise that Joseph's bones carry. It's God's promise, this, this promise that Joseph tells them that God will surely take notice of them. If you go back to the Genesis story when Joseph is dying and asking them to remember him, that, that promise goes even deeper. Joseph's dying words are, God will surely come to you and bring you up out of this land to the land that God swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When God comes to you, you shall carry up my bones from there. Joseph's bones don't just carry the people's promise. More importantly, they hold God's promise. I will keep my word. I will bring you home. The story I was telling with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it continues. The story that we are telling together, it's, it's not over. Even Joseph's story, the story of these 400-year-old bones is not finished until I've kept my promise. The people carry that promise with them into the wilderness. And it's telling that this passage where we're told that Moses has Joseph's bones is the same part of the story where it says that God guided the people with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. Just like those two pillars are their physical compass through the wilderness, the bones of Joseph are like a spiritual compass for the moments which turn out to be many when the people feel lost, when they start to doubt their way, when they're tempted to turn back, the bones and the promise they hold point the way forward. They assure the people the story is not over yet. Just like all those other bones of those other saints, all the way back from the first days of Christianity, the original saints, like martyred in their prime, the people who knew them said, this can't be the end. This person was part of God's story. That, that was always so clear to us. And if God is God, then the story can't end this way. It can't be over until God's word is kept, until they're safe, until they're home. I finally understood it a couple weeks ago. I had a meeting in DC and I got to visit the National Cathedral, the flagship Episcopalian church in America. 
Apparently, Woodrow Wilson is buried there. Didn't find that out until afterwards, so I can pretend that that's the reason I didn't go see his grave. What I did go see in a small chapel downstairs dedicated to Joseph of Arimathea, the guy who made space in his family's tomb for Jesus' body. What I did go see was the place where Matthew Shepard is interred. If you're too young to know, Matt Shepard was a gay kid in Wyoming who in 1998 was murdered for being a gay kid in Wyoming. For years, his family didn't dare bury his body for fear that the grave would be vandalized. And then in 2018, 20 years after his death, the National Cathedral reached out to them and asked to inter, inter Matt there since he was an Episcopalian. People who believe in saints and their relics talk about a power that radiates off of them. They want to get as close as they can to those bones. But, but even being in the same building is something. That sacredness, that goodness, it seeps into things. It transforms the stones in the walls. It leaches into the glass that they press up against for a closer view. In the Middle Ages, pilgrims would collect the dust near the relics and mix it with water and drink it, which is gross. <laughs> but they wanted to get as near as possible to that promise. Down the hall from the St. Joseph Chapel, I could feel it already. I started crying just reading the sign that pointed the way toward the room. When I got there, I had to wait for another group to move away. I guess I didn't have to wait, but I didn't feel like sobbing next to a bunch of strangers. And when it was finally my turn, I went over to the plaque and I read what it says. Matt, rest gently in this place. You are home safe now. Peace be with you and with all who visit here. And as I came undone there, I got it in some small way, how bones can be holy and healing, how they can be a compass for resistance, pointing the way toward liberation through our spiritual wilderness, how they can assert, especially in the most challenging, least hopeful moments, how they can insist this story is not over yet. The promise of this person has not been fulfilled. This person's story is a God story. And a God story will not end this way. A God story ends with justice. A God story ends with love. A God story only ends when everyone makes it safely home. Until then, the story can't be over. Until then, we carry the promise in our bones.